This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. We are four clinical psychologists here to bring you cutting edge and science-based ideas from psychology to help you flourish in your relationships, work, and health. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado. I'm Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. From coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. And from sunny San Diego, I'm Dr. Jill Stoddard, director of the Center for Stress and Anxiety Management. We hope you take what you learn here to build a rich and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. This is Yael and Debbie here to bring you an episode that we've wanted to do for a while now, and that is a guide to surviving heartbreak following a breakup. I'm a couples therapist, and I, I mostly work with people on healing relationships, but of course, in couples therapy work, I often bear witness to the journey into relationships breaking up, and I often help people along the long, complicated journey through recovery. And then, of course, I'm a woman in my 40s, and I've experienced some heartbreaks myself, and so I know from personal experience how painful it is to go through a breakup. And actually, you know, the first long-term relationship I had was in my 20s. I got a late start. And the memory of how much I lost my mind when that relationship broke up still makes me blush. And what kind of amazes me is that still 20 years later, I can feel the pain in my heart of the loss of that relationship when I let my mind go there. And I think that really just speaks to how painful breakups can be. We don't talk about that enough in our culture. It sort of stays quiet and invisible, which can make the experience that much harder. Yes. Yeah, Elle, it's so true. And this is Debbie. I also have worked clinically with clients who have experienced breakup and divorce um, and have my own personal experiences as well. I was doing the math. I had my first, quote, boyfriend in seventh grade. I, I think that's a bit of a liberal use of the word. And I didn't get married until my 30s. I was 34 when I got married. So I had about 20 years of dating and relationships history Um in the meantime. And so I had my fair share of heartbreak and I had, I'd say the whole spectrum, some were like ripping off a bandaid and some were really like complicated and prolonged. Some that really were hard for me and I struggled and it's kind of like you, I just feel like I can just almost feel that pain still. And then others that were like, no big deal, you know, just break up and it was fine, move on. So I just feel like I've had such a variety of emotional reactions to breakups, which I think is kind of relevant for today. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll talk a lot about sort of the range of responses and how it really is all normal. You know, a big reaction, even if somebody else might think it should be a small one, is normal. And and a no big deal reaction can also be quite normal. So before we dive into some of the content, I just wanted to acknowledge that this episode draws heavily from several resources that Debbie and I called through, including Guy Winch's TED book called How to Fix a Broken Heart, Suzanne Piver's The Wisdom of a Broken Heart, 
and the Divorce Recovery Workbook written by Mark Rye and Crystal Dia Moore. And we'll link to these terrific resources in our show notes. So again, what's really important to mention from the outset is really how much variety there is in how breakups can feel and how much variation there is in what causes some of the biggest breakup pains. Yeah, and I think that leads to a good starting place for we're going to talk about kind of how to heal your broken heart after a breakup, which is seeing, accepting, and honoring whatever kind of emotional experience we're having. I think that when we break up and the pain is big, regardless of the circumstance, you know, if it was a long relationship or just a couple of dates, we often just don't know what to do with our feelings. Um, Often, sometimes if you're experiencing a breakup, people may not quite get how painful it is and they can dismiss it. So sometimes people might say things like, oh, you're better off without that person or, well, just get back out there and start dating again. Or they might just act like it's no big deal. And I think sometimes we can feel a little bit invalidated by how other people are responding or not quite know what to do with the pain or not understand it ourselves. And I think that can just add to the feeling that it's overwhelming and hard and confusing. And even just carrying on with normal life can feel really hard. You really want to start by feeling your feelings, whatever they are, just to be willing to experience them and open to them. And responding sort of flexibly, like we've talked in a lot of areas on the podcast before. So it's not like you're, you know, just wallowing in them or getting totally overwhelmed by your feelings or, you know, crying every day for six months or something necessarily. Um, But more just taking some time to really turn toward your feelings with openness. And, you know, sometimes it can also be helpful to have some support when you do this, if you have people that you feel are supportive of you. Um, So we kind of compiled a bit of a list of some of the usual suspects that you might feel after a breakup. And of course, this is not meant to be (laughs) comprehensive because you might feel other things as well. Yeah, it's not exhaustive. Um, You might feel grief, anger, sadness, fear, guilt. You can get into kind of a depressive place with your thoughts and feelings. You might notice just generally heightened anxiety and stress. You can experience a change in the future that you had imagined for yourself, which can be sort of disorienting. You might also notice feelings of rejection or abandonment. Uh, Self-criticism or self-doubt can come up. Um, Sometimes we're just not sure if the breakup is the right thing to do or not. And so you can really have some serious feelings of uncertainty. And so really... Those or any other thing you might be feeling, all emotions might be valid during a difficult experience like this. Yeah. And as I was preparing my part of this uh, episode, I really got to thinking a lot about the grief episode that I did with Dr. Joanne Cacciatore and how um, the experience that we have can really be hard for other people to tolerate and they just kind of want to fix it. They want us to feel better soon because it's so uncomfortable for people who care about us to watch us suffering, watch us be in pain. So I think sometimes it really does require the person who's experiencing the pain to kind of assert like, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm feeling. And I'm not quite ready to go out on more dates or to pretend that everything is fine. I don't feel that way. And and so I think that's really a part of where the self-validation and sort of being willing to open up and turn towards the emotions that you experience. Um, and 
part of why it's so important is that you might get a lot of pushback because people care about you and because it's hard for them to watch you suffer. And so it is really important to sort of have that clarity in how important it is to turn towards the emotion. And the reality is that there's a real biological basis for breakup pain. So it isn't like you're wallowing for no reason. Breaking up really is that hard to do, like the old song goes. And heartbreak really is a form of grief. And and what's interesting is when researchers do fMRI and other kinds of research on this, they actually see evidence of how emotional pain really gets experienced in, in the physical pain parts of our brain. So like grief when someone dies, the emotional pain hijacks our thoughts and emotional pain is as disruptive and impactful as physical pain. Interestingly, in one study, folks who had been through a recent breakup were put into fMRI machines and were shown, this is, this is like the cruelty of research, they were shown pictures of a person who they had broken up with. And in sort of the phase two of that study, the participants were put in machines again and had physical pain tests where they uh, had uncomfortable heat applied to their forearms. And when the brain scans were compared, the results showed that the same areas of the brain became activated, the pain centers of the brain. And so we can really see- I hope they paid people a lot of money to do that study. That sounds terrible. Incredibly cruel. (laughs) Um, Yes. Um, And then other research shows that breakup causes reactions in the brain and the body that cause cognitive and functional deficiencies. So it can literally lower your IQ by several points and impair task performance, especially when logic and reasoning are required. So, you know, when we lose somebody, it's more acceptable for us to take time off work. But if we break up, people might expect us to be back at work and functioning normally, but that isn't how our bodies are responding. And so again, I think it can be really helpful to just offer that self-validation of like, there's nothing wrong with you. This is how bodies tend to respond to the kind of pain that's caused by heartbreak. And that experience of all your attention being consumed by your ex. I mean, I know that I have experienced this when I've broken up. You just really feel like you are obsessed with that person. And what we know from research is that some of the elements of the way that our brains get activated look very similar to when an addict is craving a drug. So when we experience heartbreak, it's almost like we are going through something like cocaine or heroin withdrawal. So that impulse to stalk your ex or to have another get together with them to get some closure, it is sort of like wanting another hit. And it kind of makes a lot of sense from a biological perspective. And rather than just sort of following the impulse, what I'm meaning to suggest here is that this information is helpful in validating our experience because we aren't bad for feeling this way. This is just how breakups work. We are wired to hold on to people we care about, and that may have been actually evolutionarily adaptive at one point, but in the modern day and age, Those biological realities can set us up to yearn for something that no longer works for us or which simply isn't available. And so the best that we can do, at least to start with, is accept our own experience with as much self-compassion as we can muster because the reality is it sucks and then make more intentional choices about how to respond. So rather than taking another hit and stalking our ex, making a choice that is a more useful and effective choice. And that's kind of where the psychological flexibility comes in. I love that. It's so validating. It's like it's not like there's something wrong with you. It makes perfect sense that you're feeling the way you're feeling and that you're just kind of stuck thinking about it. 
Yeah. And even though that's true, we don't want to really stay just completely stuck there forever. We want to learn some ways to kind of cope with it and to move ourselves forward. Um, You know, not to say that we're not going to feel what we feel, but that we are going to also, you know, kind of move through the process. And so we want to be patient with the process, always returning to validation and compassion for ourselves and taking steps that can help us move toward healing, to mending that broken heart. And one of the first steps is learning how to respond to that mind gone wild, you know, those kind of obsessive thinking. Really, your mind just goes bonkers after a painful breakup. You just feel like your mind is kind of spinning around and around. And as I was thinking about this episode, I just had this memory of myself as a college student in Boulder, you know. And in Boulder, when you're sad, you go for a hike. And I was just like on this hike, just like looping around and around about a breakup. And I just, I I didn't really understand it the way I understand it now after all my years of psychology training. But really what can happen is you can just get really caught up in that thinking pattern, your mind chattering away, self stories. You know, you can kind of notice that you're going to be worried. You're going to think, oh, am I, is anybody going to ever love me again? You're kind of fixate on what the future holds now. And it can really take you away from other areas of your life that matter to you, like your other relationships, your work, et cetera, make it really hard to concentrate. And this is just what the mind does. You may even feel like I'm never going to move out of this. I'm going to just be in pain forever. And what we really recommend for people is to Just start with awareness, sort of mindfulness of what your thoughts are doing, you know, making friends with your heartbreak. Um, You had found a quote, Yael, from Ernest Hemingway, the world breaks everyone and afterwards many are strong in the broken places. And to think about how, you know, you can take this heartbreak and learn to pay attention to it, open up to the thoughts and feelings with kind of mindful awareness just noticing them, your thoughts, your stories, your thought patterns. And notice how they cause so much pain, but we can really see them for what they are, just as thoughts. And when they feel overwhelming, just start from that place of being centered, having some awareness, some distance from it, and see if that changes anything. Just like notice, okay, this is what's happening. You can create a little space between yourself and that mental chatter. And then Also beginning to notice what those thoughts are telling you to do. You know, if it's telling you to obsessively check Facebook or text your ex a million times or, you know, to sleep too much or not at all or to isolate or to, you know, stop taking care of yourself, just be aware of that pull and maybe, again, just not get too sucked into that, like kind of stop and say, okay, that's what I'm feeling the urge to do, but I'm going to, I'm going to follow my values instead and focus on finding meaning in your life and your relationships. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm sort of having my own memory of of this painful breakup that I went through in college and how obsessed I was, how my mind just couldn't let go of this person that I was so in love with who had broken up with me. And I became so obsessed and, and would just talk about it to my closest friend in college. And I have this really vivid memory of being in our apartment and her just saying to me, Yael, it's over. He's over it. Let it go. And it was like a slap to the face, but it was this um, sort of forced movement of uh, push to step away from my thoughts. Like, okay, this is the story. 
but it's a story. It's not a true story. Like it's no longer possible for this relationship to be available to me. And I needed to take a step back and recognize that I was telling myself something that was neither true or helpful and do something that, that was more helpful. And that was a really painful awakening, but a really important one. I mean, it's, it's really a conversation that sticks in my mind. Now, what I wish I had at the time, which I didn't, was this idea of self-compassion and sort of how to activate the self-compassion because I was a really highly self-critical uh, college student and young woman. Um, but when we do engage the self-compassion work, it really helps us to tolerate painful experiences with a lot more grace and a lot more wisdom. And it really starts by noticing our self-critical talk. And a lot of the time, you know, for folks that I see in my private practice, that critical self-talk can look like, um, well, this is just evidence that I'm not lovable and I'm never going to find a partner and I'm always going to be unhappy and it's because there's something wrong with me. And recognizing that that kind of talk is from a voice that wants to motivate us to get to a better place and to protect ourselves from any future hurt is helpful, but also recognizing that that kind of critical self-talk actually stops us in our track and causes us to not be able to move forward in ways that allow our lives to build towards a more meaningful, rich place. So we need to identify those critical voices, acknowledge what they're trying to do, which is to protect you, but also appreciate that that self-critical talk has a lot of negative consequences and to then turn towards a more self-compassionate voice. And you can actually check out our episode on self-compassion with Dr. Christopher Germer, which we'll link to. Um, but I'll just quickly, for the purposes of a brief, a brief primer on self-compassion, note that it has three components. The first is mindfulness, which Debbie just talked about, which is that sort of awareness of what kind of thoughts you're having, the feelings that you're having. So that's the first component, mindfulness. The second component is self-kindness. So think about how you talk to somebody who you really cared about, who's going through a painful experience, how you might really empathize with them and say, oh, I'm so sorry, that sounds so hard. And see if you can send yourself some of that self-kindness. And the third component is common humanity. And I think that this is actually, for me, the most important one, because when I'm going through something really painful, I feel really alone in it. And what can be really helpful is to under is to appreciate that everybody who lives in a human body goes through painful experiences. In fact, most people have at some point in their lives gone through a painful breakup. In fact, many people probably in the very moment that you're going through it are also going through it. And they're also in pain. And I think appreciating that even if you feel alone, that it's a really common human experience can make you feel connected to others and can also make it feel less like there's something wrong with you. This is just a natural human experience that most people go through at some point in their lives. So self-compassion meditations can be so helpful in giving you the kinds of um, mindfulness, self-kindness, and connection to common humanity that can help you tolerate the pain of a breakup. Um, and we can link to some of those in our show notes as well. I also wanted to mention that uh, forgiveness is an important area of work when we're going through breakup, not only because sometimes we're ashamed of things that we've done through a relationship or towards the end of a relationship, but also because we often get very, very angry with the person who's hurt us, who's broken up with us. It's important to define what forgiveness is because what it isn't is 
condoning that somebody who's wronged you, that it's okay for them to have done that. Uh, but what it is, is deciding to let go of negative feelings, thoughts, and actions towards somebody who's wronged you and replacing those thoughts, feelings, and actions with more compassionate ones. So for example, acknowledging angry thoughts and vengeful wishes and actions, and then deciding to take a more compassionate stance. And this can even apply when you have an ex-partner who's done something really hurtful to you, like cheated on you or said very, very hurtful things and deciding to take a compassionate stance by appreciating that that person maybe didn't know better, didn't have healthy ways to cope, feeling compassion for their pain and letting go of your anger. And the reason for forgiveness is not to ease up on somebody else. It really is for you. It's so you can focus on moving forward for yourself. And the reason that I think it's hard for people who um, are in this position of holding on to anger to forgive is that we feel like we're letting somebody off of the hook. But when a relationship ends, it's you're sort of in a position where whatever is going on with that other person is no longer very relevant to you. And so what you need to focus on is what's going to be good for you. And what we know from research and what you might even be able to know from personal experiences that you've had elsewhere is that when we hold on to anger, it really tends to keep us stuck. I mean, there's actually physiological um, consequences to that, high blood pressure, um, poor sleep. And, and so for all of these reasons, engaging forgiveness as opposed to holding on to anger can really be helpful. I think sometimes anger might be there too. Uh, you know, it might come and go even in the aftermath as you're working toward forgiveness. It's not like it's going to be totally gone or you're just going to have nothing but positive thoughts, but it's more like that sense of kind of like not getting stuck there and instead moving forward. Because I don't think that forgiveness means you like you're done with anger, but it's more like how you relate to it. And it really is about kind of releasing yourself to move forward. That's exactly it's a process. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's so consistent with acceptance and commitment therapy insofar as it's not like we can control whether or not we feel super pissed off with somebody who's hurt us, that that feeling is going to come up. And it, it really is more about your relationship and how you respond to that emotion. So choosing to, you know, get hooked into it versus choosing to diffuse and engage a more compassionate side of yourself would be what forgiveness would look like what forgiveness doesn't mean is never feeling, you know, anger or hurt or, or just, you know, rage towards somebody who's done things that are very, very painful. And that gets us back to the very first point where we started, which is, you know, we need to um, validate whatever feeling comes up for us, even if it's anger. And then we need to be work towards being more um, thoughtful and intentional about how we respond to it. So actions that might embody a choice to move towards forgiveness might include things like writing a forgiveness letter and not necessarily mailing it, because again, you're doing it for yourself. Um, focusing on an inspirational role model like the Dalai Lama. Um, you can also check out Desmond Tutu has a wonderful book called The Book of Forgiving that talks a lot about sort of this process of forgiveness. You might also think of a time that you did something that was very hurtful and think about how engaging in actions that are hurtful sometimes have a lot of different sides and motivations to it and engaging empathy for yourself as a way of building empathy towards an ex. And then you also might create forgiveness rituals. So for example, like finding a sharp rock and throwing it into a body of water to kind of symbolize letting go of the anger. 
And I, I did want to comment, and this is, I think, similar to what Debbie was just mentioning, that it can be especially hard when your ex doesn't exhibit remorse or when you're having a hard time limiting contact or if you haven't had any contact and your ex has done something very painful or if there's um, hurtful behavior that's ongoing. But again, the motivation is to let go of anger because that hot coal of anger hurts us. And then finally, again, we also may need to work on forgiving ourselves. And that can be especially true if children are involved. And Debbie and I have already talked about if there's interest that we'd love to do another episode on breakups or divorces that involve children, because it's uh, certainly a very, very complicated situation for many people. Yes. Stay tuned for that. We wanted to talk a bit about the idea of moving from suffering into pain. And I think the difference between the two is that pain is just the normal feelings that we feel. And suffering happens when we really get locked into this cycle of kind of struggling with our own pain and emotions. And again, to do this, to move from suffering to pain, first we have to really validate our own pain. So recognizing that having that broken heart is nothing to be ashamed of. It actually means that we are capable of love and we've had love and we've lost it and that we're healthy creatures for feeling the way we feel. I love this quote by Dr. Colin Murray Parks, grief is the price we pay for love. And I think if someone we cared about was heartbroken, we would, again, like you said earlier, we would offer them compassion and care for them and their brokenheartedness. And we can really offer that to ourselves as well. And by doing that, we can create some meaning by discovering the depths of our own hearts. So there can be something about opening ourselves up to pain that can help us heal. And that doesn't mean that we won't have scars there, but we can start to figure out how to sort of close up the open wounds. Um, The author of A Wisdom The Wisdom of a Broken Heart, Susan Piver, writes that through the simple act of noticing without changing, you will transform heartbreak into wisdom. And I love that. And um, Piver actually has an exercise that you can do that's kind of similar to our co-host Jill Stoddard's exercise where you give a name to your, your inner critic voice, the voice of your inner critic. And this is where you befriend your demons, right? So Piper writes that we have these kind of demon thoughts, demonic thoughts, like, well, I'm sad because I'm too old or I'm broken or I'm ugly or I'll never find love again. I'll, you know, I always track, attract the wrong person. Nothing will ever be the same again, those kinds of things. But instead of trying to knock those thoughts out, just give it a name. So you could call it, you know, shame. Or you could call it something funny like Lloyd. <laughs> and and what you is Jill's just... critical voice is uh, her name is Sheila. So Sheila. <laughs> you can name it Sheila, whatever you want to name it. Um, but instead of trying to knock these thoughts out, just get to know them. Just understand what they are. Imagine it as a little creature. Maybe dress it up in a hat or a robe. And by doing this, you just get a little bit of distance between yourself and the demon And you can almost kind of imagine changing your relationship to it. And then you can invite the demon over to dinner at your home and say, hey, you know, come around 7 p.m. That's when the demon shows up and just give it your attention and ask what's there to help you do. So how is this demon here to try to help you? How is it trying to protect you, to get you to learn and grow? 
and just kind of send a little bit of gratitude to your demon for having good intentions and recognize that we have those demons. They're trying to help us in some kind of way, but they don't really need to be in charge for you to get the help they're trying to offer you, but just act like they're guests in your home. So that's a that's kind of a clever idea for how to relate to these sort of really harsh thoughts that show up. It's also can be really helpful to tell your story to someone with a kind and sympathetic ear. So to kind of share what you're going through and to to tell it often, kind of get it out of your own head and get support around it. But as you learned with your friend, Yael, who kind of got tired of hearing your story over and over again, sometimes ears can become fatigued. So it might be helpful to kind of, you know, share the love by sharing your story with different ears. Um, And this is really a practice in seeking kindness. And as we receive kindness from people who care about us, we can start to internalize those kind voices. And these voices will hopefully tell us that we are still lovable, we're still worthy, and most importantly, that we're not alone with it. So reach out for support, I think is really important. Yeah. If you have good friends, I, I do think leaning on them is a is wonderful to do. And I think there's also a lot to be said for seeking out support from a therapist during a breakup because our friends sometimes don't know how to be supportive and, you know, again, sort of drop into that fix-it role as opposed to just being willing to kind of sit there. And also, as you were talking, I was thinking about this episode from Sex in the City where Carrie Bradshaw is going through a breakup and her friends get really tired and, and they all, you know, absolutely adore her, but of, they became sort of fatigued with hearing her breakup story and about her heartbreak. And so she sought out therapy, although I think it landed her in an unhealthy new relationship, if I'm remembering correctly. Sounds about right. (laughs) Uh, Sex in the city. Um, All right. So the next step in the journey, and of course, it's not actually linear at all to go through a breakup in terms of all the things that we experience. But if you're sort of thinking about the initial period of just feeling like everything's chaotic and, and using mindfulness to kind of center yourself and then translating the suffering into pain. And once you're sort of more familiar with the pain and and have been able to diffuse from it, then comes an opportunity to turn the pain into wisdom. So there's a, if anyone has heard my voice on this podcast before, you'll know that I love Viktor Frankl. His book, Man's Search for Meaning, is one of the most influential books in my life. And in it, he talks a lot about how we can make meaning even from suffering. And there's this wonderful quote where he writes, if there is meaning in life at all, then there must be a meaning in suffering. And he also writes, quote, there's nothing in the world, I venture to say, that would so effectively help one to survive even the worst conditions as the knowledge that there is meaning in one's life. And I think that that can be really helpful as you're going through a breakup and the pain that accompanies a breakup, because if if you can sort of find a way to turn that pain into meaning either for yourself or for a larger ideal, then it does help you translate that pain into something meaningful for you. So make it your goal to find ways to create meaning from the pain. Make turning pain into wisdom something that you're seeking to do just as we discussed on the grief episode again with Dr. Joanne Cacciatore and she writes similarly that a heart that has been expanded by suffering has the capacity to hold even more love. Suffering endured becomes compassion expressed. Grieving becomes giving. Pain becomes wisdom. So as we're going through hard experiences like a breakup, um, we can 
think of, we can ask ourselves questions like, how can I learn something from this experience that might help me in future relationships? What went well and what didn't? What can I learn about myself? What can I learn about how I engage in relationships? How can I grow? How can I take this experience and use it to increase possibilities for myself in the future? How can I help others because of what I've learned? And so I think in this way, we can really incentivize ourselves and push ourselves, encourage ourselves to translate that pain into wisdom, into building compassion for others, into strengthening ourselves in ways that we may not otherwise have been able to, to grow without this painful experience. My Aunt Patty once said to me when I was young and I had just had a breakup and she said, Debbie, if you've never been dumped, then you can't sing the blues. And that really stuck with me because I do think that there's some truth to that, right? That the experience of having had your heart broken, of course, you wouldn't want it. You would prefer not to have it. Nobody wants it probably, but the experience can sort of deepen you in a way. And if you use it as an opportunity to grow and to learn about yourself, um, you can kind of come out the other side, having created some of that meaning for yourself. And one thing that that can be helpful is to think about clarifying our values, our core values through the process. Steve Hayes and his um, episode with us on a liberated mind, he talks about how we hurt where we care. And I think that the hurt can teach you something about your values, like what's important to you. What's important to you as you're going through this process? What do you want to stand for? How do you want to be as you go through this process? What do you want to move toward in your life? And how do you want to be? And how can you stay true to your values even in the midst of a breakup? And that could look all kinds of different ways, but it could mean, you know, treating the person you're breaking up with with a certain kind of respect. It could mean reaching out to your friends instead of obsessing on social media about your ex. It could mean all kinds of things, but just sort of staying true to your values throughout the process is is a great way to find meaning and growth. And also taking some committed action. We've talked about committed action a lot on the podcast as well. I think it's really okay to give yourself some time to grieve. I think that's actually really important. And you talked about that in your grief episode. Yeah, I'll just kind of allowing some space in your life to feel what you're feeling. Um, And even in the midst of that, it can be really important for you to take care of yourself, you know, to the best you can to get some sleep, to eat, exercise, and engage in meaningful activities. You may need a little time to just kind of, you know, lie in bed for a period of time, but at the same time, you don't want to go too far down that road to where you're not taking care of yourself. Getting support, again, from friends and family, maybe a therapist, if if that's something that you think would be helpful to you. Being aware of thoughts, if you're looping or obsessing or getting really self-critical, do that perspective taking and, again as we keep saying, having some self-compassion, just treating yourself kindly in the midst of this difficult period. Yeah. And we just wanted to end with a reminder that breakups are hard and that truth isn't a reflection on your strength, on your skill, on your lovableness, or on your future opportunities to find love. Breakups are a painful reality that most people go through. So as much as you can get through it with acceptance and self-compassion in hand and with an eye toward using the pain to grow your wisdom and strength, you can make this painful experience one that has really important silver linings. 
It doesn't mean it won't be painful. So we do urge you to be gentle with yourself throughout the process. Yes. And if it's helpful for you, check out our show notes for the episode for today because we'll put the resources on there that we talked about today. So you might find those helpful. And we just want to say that if you are navigating a breakup right now, we wish you health, peace, and strength. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. You can find us on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please help us out by writing a review on iTunes. We'd like to thank our interns, Dr. Catherine Foley-Saldania and Dr. Katie Lear. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources on our webpage. We're at offtheclockpsych.com.